2: It's another week of Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got NFL Divisional Round playoffs to discuss. Yours truly and Sage Rosenfels on Twitter at Sage Rosenfels18, talking NFL and eventually continuing our Minnesota Vikings player evaluations. Today we have Charles Johnson and Brian Robinson. But where do we begin with the NFL playoffs, Sage? A Sunday for the ages with Dallas, Green Bay, and Pittsburgh, Kansas City coming down to the wire. Two games that really made up for six whitewashes uh, in the first six playoff games yesterday was magnificent.
1: It really was. It was sort of almost a historic day of football from what I remember. I don't know if I recall two games being that good. Uh, and teams putting on the line and coming down to the last second. In particular, obviously, that Dallas-Green Bay game was just unbelievable. But if you had enough energy to stay up for the second game last night, Kansas City Steelers, it wasn't really exciting the entire game, but uh, the ending definitely was. And, and, uh, yeah, as as you said, there there weren't uh, a lot of close games last weekend. All four were sort of two touchdown or three touchdown games. But uh, those two games yesterday were just phenomenal.
2: Let's start with Green Bay-Dallas, 34-31. Green Bay moves on and avoids what would have been another excruciating playoff defeat. Green Bay loses a 21-3 lead in that game. Dallas ties it late. You feel like they have all the momentum. Then you've got the final three minutes with the quarterbacks moving the football, the kickers nailing insanely long, pressure-packed kicks. Plenty of material just in those three minutes alone. How about the throw from Aaron Rodgers though? The 35-yarder on the sideline to Jared Cook. Where, I just don't know where he comes up with this stuff where he's basically drawn this up in the huddle and he rolls out, you know, to his left. He's going away from his throwing arm, you know, he's running left. He's a right-handed quarterback and he just throws this dart over the corner, just drops it right in and Cook makes a great catch. That's as good as it gets.
1: I We'll probably write about that throw today. Uh, I feel like that throw is, is one of the greatest throws I've ever seen. Uh, and, and obviously, just, just the throw is phenomenal. But in the playoffs, uh, in the second round, um, basically the second-to-last play of the game uh, to, to win it. Um, so I think that throw, and if you look at the dynamics of it, the physics of it, Rolling to his left and to throw a ball, I think, 35 yards on a line uh, and maybe have six inches of, of room to, to miss in uh, the phenomenal catch um, right there on the sideline. I really do believe one of the greatest throws I've ever seen, probably one of the greatest throws in NFL history, and that's what I'm going to write about today for my article on the score.
2: And nearly one of the greatest timeouts ever taken by Jason Garrett. He calls timeout right before Crosby kicks the game-winning field goal. He makes it easily. Then he on the redo, I don't know how that ball went in. I mean, twice. Not just on the game-winning field goal, but also on the first go-ahead field goal that he made a few minutes earlier. He kind of had that knuckling motion where it went left and then kind of back to the right at the end. And on that second field goal, I thought that was going wide left, didn't you?
1: Yeah, well, the, the first one I thought was going to sort of slice off to the right um, and then uh, – but, but obviously it's somehow even – that one curved back left. They were both sort of yeah. S, S field goals. Uh, my driver, I wish, uh, you know, sometimes moves like that too, you know, sort of a little bit right, a little bit left, all in the same shot. But, uh, yeah, the, the last kick to win it, um, the first kick was um, – well, it was perfect kick. The ball was perfectly straight. Uh, and then that second kick obviously was uh, it was a bit wobbly and a bit of a knuckler and started left. I thought it was going to be wide left, not even close, and it sort of curved back to the right. It almost reminded me of uh, I'm not sure if you're you're old enough for this, but Boston College versus Notre Dame. This is back in probably the uh, the early 90s, like 91 or 1990 or something, and they had a left they had a field goal kicker who started way to the right and sort of brought it back to the left and and to beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame is is a great uh, great game. Glenn Foley, the quarterback from Boston College, it reminded me of that last night. This strange sort of knuckle ball that uh, started left and came back to the right, and uh, it was it was the perfect way to end just a phenomenal football game. And uh, I know for Vikings fans, I a lot of times root a lot of people rooting against the Packers, uh, but I always like rooting against the Cowboys to be honest with you, the Cowboys and and, and Jerry Jones, and so. I probably was okay having the Packers win that football game. It was so fun to watch uh, that I, you know, it, I guess it didn't really matter. It was such a great football game that uh, it was just sort of one that you hoped didn't end. You wanted to keep going, maybe even going overtime and, and see some more.
2: I'll contest this to Vikings fans. Sure, it's fun to root against Green Bay, but it's also fun to root against Green Bay in an even bigger game. You had a great time rooting against them yesterday. You got a great game. Now you get to do it again next week. Now the fun isn't over. Packers and Falcons next Sunday it might be a 45 to 44 game.
1: Yeah, that should be a lot of fun to watch. And, and uh, the Atlanta game, too, was Atlanta's looking really, really good. That offense and, and uh, the defense is, is playing good enough. But, uh, yeah, those two games yesterday, you know, it's all said and done. Just phenomenal. And, uh, you know, the Packers move on. You can't really believe it. You know, they don't have a great football team. I, I will say that. I think the defense is pretty dang average, but they have Aaron Rodgers. And uh, it was pretty obvious to me as you watch those two games, you know, Aaron Rodgers did his magic, got them in the lead. But the better team probably was the Dallas Cowboys. That, that offensive line, the way they run the ball, uh, obviously with Zico Elliott, just a better overall team. And they slowly worked their way back into the football game. Uh, Dallas isn't a team that goes out and scores 21 points in a quarter. That's, that's the Green Bay Packers. And so they slowly worked their way back into that football game and, and uh, made it really, really close on the, at the end. So uh, Green Bay Packers move on and, and should be a great NFC championship against the Atlanta Falcons.
2: Yeah, credit to Dak Prescott, too, who goes over 300 yards, three touchdowns, and an 18-point fourth-quarter rally to just get that game in a tie. I really hope with Dak, it's not the deal where kind of the RG3 where he has a great rookie year and then he gets figured out or he has an injury or he has drama. I hope this is the start of a very, very successful and bountiful career for Prescott because he's a fun guy to watch and a fun guy to cheer for. I'll
1: tell you what, I break down these quarterbacks every single week. And from early on, I think even in the preseason I could tell Dak Prescott was going to be pretty good. Uh, watching the way he throws the ball, watching the way he moves the pocket, um, his accuracy, his arm strength, uh, just the way he handles an offense. Uh, I knew he was going to be good in the preseason, and then watch that first regular season game in which they lost, but he played pretty well. I was, I was hugely impressed uh, for a rookie to come out and play that well in the first game of the year. And uh, so I think he is completely legit. I don't think it's what's going to happen to him is what happened to RG3. That's not going to happen. He's a much better thrower, much better quarterback than RG3. And he's not, you know, RG3 was excited because he had a couple huge runs, you know, his rookie year. That's really what uh, uh, propelled him uh, to to be sort of the rookie of the year um, uh, you know, a few years ago. Prescott is a, is a much better quarterback than RG3, so I think he's going to be a legit Pro Bowl type quarterback for you know the next uh, who knows 10, 12, 15 years for the Cowboys.
0: list
2: late game last night Pittsburgh wins on the road 18 16 they use the running game they use the field goal kicker it was a blue collar win to be sure for the Steelers Ryan Boswell six field goals Le'Veon Bell 170 yards on the ground and the Steelers just keep on grinding they take down the Chiefs and it's too bad for Andy Reid who continues to be snake bit in the postseason that's a tough pill to swallow for the Chiefs who had a great crowd fun atmosphere Big Ben said it was one of the loudest experiences of his life. They couldn't get it done at the end because of a holding call on an otherwise successful two-point conversion.
1: Well, there's a couple things in this game that are just phenomenal. One, uh, we talked about last week, and I wrote about last week, about you know quarterbacks playing in the slop. And there was no more uh, just, just describing of a game other than slop, which was yesterday's game. I mean, it was nasty. It was... You know, I live in Omaha, only a couple hours north of Kansas City. We've got ice everywhere today. It's raining, it's freezing, it's just nasty. And Big Ben, again, played pretty dang good in that football game, consistently moving the ball down the field, not scoring touchdowns and kicking field goals, but consistently making plays and and hitting wide receivers in those sloppy conditions. And and then on the other side, you know, Alex Smith, who gets a – everyone gives him a hard time for being this game manager – But I tell you what, he managed the heck out of that game all the way to the end where, in in essence, he really did tie the football game. He did everything that he had to do to get his team, you know, in the playoffs and to advance in the playoffs. And there is an art to playing the position. It's not just how strong an arm do you have, how fast do you have, are you, how accurate are you. There is this thing called managing the football game, and he knew how to stay close in that football game and, and made the play at the end, you know, made uh, uh, the, the two-point conversion. There was just a holding penalty on the left tackle, which was sort of a, you know, 50-50 holding penalty, to be honest with you. And, and in those conditions, in the, in the mud, and James Harrison going down like that, I don't know if I make that call. You know, it's sort of like at the end of an NBA game. It has to be an obviously, you know, very obvious bad penalty for me to call it. Uh, when there's, you know, uh, the, the play of the game. And uh, obviously they, didn't get, they did not get it on the, uh, you know, the second chance when they were backed up uh, back at the 12-yard line. But uh, Alex Smith played great in that game. And I think another thing I'd like to talk about is the unsportsmanlike conduct on the helmet-to-helmet hit. I mean, that's safety mm-hmm. for the Pittsburgh Steelers in a bang-bang play. And it looked ugly. You know, he hit a defenseless player basically in the head. But what are you going to do? I mean, what, what a tough spot to be in as a safety is the whole season is on the line and there's a ball that's up and you're going to go attack the ball and, and the receiver and you're all just laying out at the same time and you don't have – it's such a quick thing that all happens at the same time that it's hard not to, uh, you know, sometimes go helmet to helmet and shoulder to helmet and, you know, all those types of things. There's such a small little target – you know, for that safety to hit. And uh, he actually came back at the end and, and made the play uh, uh, to stop the two-point conversion. So I thought that was really fascinating at the end of that football game, just the, the conversation about helmet-to-helmet hits uh, and just the, the split-second time these guys have to react. And, uh, and sometimes they, 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 they screw up and they make mistakes and, and they go helmet-to-helmet, and that's what happened in that football game.
2: Yeah, you used the right word, react, Because I think football players, and I haven't played in the NFL, but it seems like a reactionary game to me. You're taught to react more so than think. You don't really have time to think. So when guys aren't able to pull up and make contact with the shoulder versus the head, there's two moving parts here. There's a receiver who may or may not be ducking. There's this D-back who's just trying to make the tackle and make a play and, and lay the hit. And you don't always have time to think about that in the process. I don't think there's a lot of malicious intent in most of the helmet-to-helmet hits in the NFL. I think it's just the course of the game.
1: Well, and you could see in that game, I I feel like, and I I don't know the player's name. I said number 28 for the Steelers. He came over after that play and was talking to Mike Tomlin. And you could see Mike Tomlin on the sidelines saying, you know, next play, there's nothing you can do about it. Don't worry about next play. I mean, what are you going to do as a player you know, this is – all the all the cards are on the table. It's for all the marbles, in a sense, for your entire team. It is a bang-bang play, you know, right there at the end of a football game. And you're going you're, you're gonna to lay it on the line. You're not going to hold up. I mean, you, you sort of – you can't. There's just – that's when there's just no way that player safety comes first at the end of, of a playoff football game. It just doesn't. If you're coming over the middle – and I can hit you as hard as I can to dislodge the football, you know, from you so you don't catch it. So we can win the football game in advance. That's what's going to happen. And uh, I'm sure he'll get a big fine. But I really didn't see anything else that uh, said number 28, whatever his name is, uh, what what he could do, uh, you know, on that play. There's nothing else he could could do. Playoff football is rough. It's ugly. You see players going to the locker room all the time. You know, come back out with, with you know, whether it's a rib injury, you, you see a lot of guys getting shots. I, I sort of call them body bad games. These playoff games are body bad games, and everyone's laying it on the line. And sure enough, he's, you know, they, those players laid it on the line yesterday, and there was a nasty hit. But I'm not sure if the, the safety could have done anything about it.
2: Yeah, it's football at its most intense, that's for sure. It's Locked On Vikings, Locked On Podcast Network. couple quick thoughts on the Saturday games, neither of which were very competitive. From Seattle, Atlanta... I'd say Atlanta for real. Seattle's defense maybe becoming a little less formidable. There were guys in that secondary they were mentioning that I didn't even know. The Legion of Boom, especially without Earl Thomas, is not nearly as
1: fearsome as it once was. Well, the Legion of Boom is much better when they're playing from you know when they're playing with the lead and teams have to pass and, and you know they play a, they're, they're they're really more of a zone type team. And obviously, much better where they can, you know, keep their eyes on the quarterback and, and follow the football, and they all are, can attack the ball. But you know, they're missing their, their great safety, uh, and, uh, and that really hurt them in that football game. And and Seattle just doesn't have the running game they used to have, uh, you know, be, before. So um, you know, Lynch is gone, and and their own line's not quite as good. Uh, the team just needs to rebuild a little bit. They've had phenomenal luck with draft picks uh, over the last few years. And, uh, and they need to probably, you know, try to refill with, with some, maybe more some free agents and, and some more good drafts. And so still a very good football team. But uh, Atlanta's playing phenomenal right now. They're playing at home. They get another uh, home game, which was a surprise. I think most people thought that was going to be the last game uh, in that stadium as, as they build a new stadium down there in Atlanta. But now they get another game. So, uh, this one coming up this week should be a, a great one. Two, you know, MVP candidate quarterbacks. I mean, by l- let's look at the four quarterbacks that remain: Tom Brady, Hall of Famer; Ben Roethlisberger, Hall of Famer; Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Famer; Matt Ryan, probably going to be the MVP. I mean, it was it, it is a phenomenal four group of quarterbacks, and and again goes to show how important the quarterback position is in the NFL.
2: Yeah. Is it a quarterback's league or what? That's the evidence right there. And Tom Brady getting it done in the Saturday night game. To be honest with you, New England pretty much did everything they could to let Houston in that game. They still won by 18 Brady threw two picks, which I think doubled his season total. They fumbled on a kickoff return. They let Houston run it for over a hundred yards. New England did not run the ball well, and they still put up 34, and they still doubled up the Texans. Brock Osweiler, man, they're paying him a lot of money to not be a very good quarterback, just to be frank.
1: Yeah, well, they have, I think the number one or, or number two defense in the NFL, and their offense was one of the worst. I mean, it's pretty obvious that, that that's the problem with that football team. It's It is night and day. It's black and white. The defense is good. The offense stinks. Osweiler stinks. Um, I wish I could say different. You know, I'm a bit of a Texans fan, too, being that I played for them before the Vikings. And their quarterback's not very good, and he's making a lot of money. He's going to make a lot of money next year. I don't, I can't imagine they're going to release him. They're not. Uh, they're going to have somebody compete with Brock Osweiler next year. I'm not sure how that's going to play out. You know, maybe it's Tony Romo. That might be a perfect team for Tony Romo, you think about it. Still in the state of Texas. Uh, he probably doesn't care if he gets paid uh, a, a ton of money. And, um, and they're playing in a dome, in a very weak division. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see if, you know, Rick Smith, who's the GM down there, you know, he wants to spend, uh, you know, $30, $35 million on his quarterback you know, position. But, you know, Rummel might be a good spot, you know, over there uh, with the Houston Texans. And so uh, Tom Brady moves on. The, the Patriots were so good. They're so good that they can play bad football and still beat the Texans fairly easily. That's really the difference in those football teams. No matter how many mistakes Tom Brady was going to make in that game, Brock Osweiler and the Texans offense just isn't good enough to capitalize on those mistakes. And, you know that's the key difference. And uh, uh, so you know they move on. Should should be a great game. You know this week against Ben Roethlisberger and, and the Steelers, and uh, we're gonna have two classic AFC and NFC championship games.
2: By the way, Texans are stuck with Osweiler next year. As you mentioned, they have $19 million guaranteed to Brock. And then the following year, they could cut him and only eat $6 million if, that, if they wanted to. So they got him for one more year.
1: Now everyone goes, oh, $72 million. It's, it's really not a $72 million contract. It's not much different than, uh, you know, I guess, what the Vikings have with Sam Bradford, in a sense. It was like 18, $19 million a year. Uh, and the first two years were basically guaranteed. Two, um, like two and a third years were guaranteed on that contract, thirty-eight million dollars. And so, obviously, one year's done. I believe that's about eighteen million. And uh, so he's got about twenty million left, um, you know, on that contract that's guaranteed. So really, it was a two-year contract. And if you play well, uh, you're going to have a good chance of having a third and fourth year. But if you don't play well, he's very easily to release after three years. I'm sorry, after two years.
2: So if I were to rank the four potential Super Bowl matchups, here would I here's what I would go with. Tell me if you agree or disagree. I would go Patriots Packers number 1, Packers Steelers number 2 in the rematch of Super Bowl 45, Patriots Falcons after that, and Steelers Falcons my least uh, appealing matchup.
1: Agree or disagree? Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. I mean, everyone just assumes probably that you know Tom Brady's gonna be you know in the Super Bowl again and by, by the way how about this stat Tom Brady's been starting for I think 15 or 16 years with the New England Patriots and and this is his 11th uh, AFC championship game 11 out of I, I believe 15 years that is just I mean that's that's UCLA Bruins back in the day winning national championships like nine out of 11 years I mean it's that type of impossible and uh, I I agree with you that I think the best game would probably probably be New England and the Packers Um, it'd be a lot of fun obviously with two you know great quarterbacks having unbelievable seasons you know I think Atlanta with their high scoring offense gives them a pretty good shot to beat New England in particular the fact that it's gonna be played in a dome in Houston so I think that does help out Atlanta as well I think Atlanta has the better football team than the Packers but uh, no matter how good Aaron or uh, Matt Ryan is, Aaron Rodgers is uh, the best quarterback in the NFL, and and uh, it should, that should be a, that should that, I think that game to me will be more fun to watch than the AFC Championship game.
2: Yep, no doubt about that. Locked on Vikings, Locked on Podcast Network. We're going to cruise through a couple quick Vikings player evaluations before the day is done. Continue uh, two at a time until we get through the entire roster today. Minnesota Vikings wide receiver Charles Johnson and defensive end Ryan Robison. Let's start with Charles Johnson, the wide receiver. He had a difficult season, only 20 receptions, 232 yards, no touchdowns. Let me just say this about Johnson, Sage. For two consecutive years, I've gone training camp and I've seen Charles Johnson compete and stay after practice and make these incredible one-handed catches when he's working out and He's always performed well in practice scenarios. Maybe he had good chemistry with Bridgewater. Maybe that's the key. But for whatever reason, he's never been able to translate it to NFL games. And I think it might cost him a job with the Vikings now.
1: Well, I I was thinking, you know, as we go through these evaluations all offseason, I'm going to compare a lot of these players to the players that are playing in these championship games. You know, the players that are playing in these playoff games. And the one of the big issues that the Vikings have is their inability to make big plays at the wide receiver position, whether it's deep down the field on go routes and post routes, or it's taking something short from underneath and making something happen with it. And you, know, you watch that Chiefs game yesterday with Antonio Brown and Tyreek Hill, and you, know, you got these players that are playmakers. And the Vikings really don't have that right now. They don't have guys who can take a a quick slant or a, a, a seven-yard route uh, like a Tyree Kale and make it into something you know much more explosive. Uh, but if you're not going to be that type of player, you have to be the guy on the outside like a Julio Jones who's going deep down the field winning the one-on-one matchups, winning the one-on-one routes. Uh, when teams try to stop or unstack the box, uh, they can throw it up to you and you're going to win you know, 90% of the time. And the Vikings don't have that type of player either and and then that's the problem with uh, with Charles is that he really doesn't do either. He's not a you know, big playmaker type of guy on, on the inside, and he's not a guy who's making enough big time down the field plays on the outside either.
2: Johnson has gotten three years under his belt, all under six hundred thousand dollars salary. Whoever signs him, and he is a free agent. Whoever signs him this offseason probably won't have to pay him much money. I would not expect the Vikings to retain Charles Johnson. He's 27 years old, probably will lane with somebody for sure, but he is not impressed in his last two years in Minnesota. On the other side, Brian Robison, his 11th year with the Minnesota Vikings. Get this, he's played 15 or 16 games in every single season. You've used the cliche, your best ability is your availability. And Robison has been available for this long. And I think he had one of his best years. And he even said so. He thinks he had one of his best years in 2016. Seven and a half sacks, made 18 tackles, three forced fumbles, one pass defense, played in all 16 games. He was great. And they cut back on his snaps a little bit. Daniil Hunter getting some more time. And it seemed to keep Robison fresh. And he was healthy and effective.
1: Yeah, he had an excellent year, and, and he's going to be here next year, absolutely. I can't imagine any you know, possibility of him not being on the football team. Uh, a man of consistency, and uh, it, it, people don't realize when you look at stats of players and the guys that you know, are only playing 9, 10, 11 football games, you know, that means that five, six, seven games, they're not playing, which means a backup is playing. Maybe it's an undrafted free agent. Uh, and it's so important for your best players for the leaders of your football team to play in you know almost every football game uh, there's huge value in that and you know the, the ability to play through pain to play through injury to not get injured really uh, and, and to be able to play you know all the games is is a value that you know people can't can't quite understand because they're always just looking at stats and that type of stuff but You know, there's all those plays where he's out trying to stop the run and not getting any sort of sacks, but he's doing his job and doing a nice job in the run game too. So seven and a half sacks, pretty dang good for a defensive end. And, you know, he's he's a defensive end that is not the sort of pass rushing specialist defensive end. He's usually to the side of the tight end, which is a little bit more, uh, more difficult to rush the passer. So the fact that he got seven and a half sacks this year, played in all 16 games, that's all you're looking for in sort of a number two defensive end. Uh, which is opposite Everson Griffin, who is sort of the pass rush specialist. So uh, nice season by by Robeson, and, and uh, he'll be back next year.
2: He's entering his contract year where he's going to make $6.6 6 million. Some people whispering about maybe they'll ask him to take a pay cut. To be honest, when you're paying Daniil Hunter as little as you are, less than $800,000, I think you can probably afford Robeson, who's shown No signs of decline. I think you've got him at an appropriate number, maybe even a little bit of a bargain.
1: Yeah, I I think that uh, that's a fair number for him. I mean, they may try to ask him to take a pay cut. I don't think so. Uh, He has lived up to the numbers. uh, You know, he's the value uh, of the numbers that he is, uh, you know, being paid next year is really what I think he's worth. You know, a a top defensive on on one side is usually now. You know, seven, eight, nine million dollars, and a good one on the other side is five, six million dollars. And I think he has done everything uh, to necessitate the, the contract that he has and to, and to keep it. And uh, he obviously shows a lot of value, not just on the way he plays, but on his overall leadership. I mean, uh, I think he leads and says and does the right thing. Uh, he's been there for a long, long time. The, the, the franchise needs players like him who are a model of consistency you know, on and off the field. He's well-liked in that locker room. And uh, I said, he will be here next year. And I don't think you'll have to take a pay cut.
2: More player evaluations as the week goes on here on Locked On Vikings. Sage, you'll be back with us on Wednesday. We'll talk to you then. Sounds good. He's Sage. I'm Sam. Make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Boom. Leave a rating, leave a review on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom, at Sage rosenfels 18 We'll talk to you tomorrow.